Hey, Cinefans. So we had to do things a little bit differently this time. We went way too long on our Game of Thrones episode, or House of the Dragon episode, I should say. You can tell by the end of it, we start referencing the fact that we've been going for four hours. So what we decided to do, since the game went way too long and was at an hour and 20 minutes itself, what we've done is I split that off and in the podcast feed, you will get a bonus episode of just the game. I've taken it off this episode, so this is now the intro to it. You'll hear a theme song in a little bit, and then we just jump right in. And so you still get like two hours and 40 minutes of us talking House of the Dragon. We do reference the game. Don't worry. They both, like I said, will be at least released in podcast form. So if you're watching this on YouTube, be warned. We do reference things that is in an episode that's just podcast only. And we did that to kind of ease everybody because nobody wants another four-hour Game of Thrones episode like we've done before. So just keep that in mind. Enjoy the episode. Here is our House of the Dragons Season 1 episode. Hey, Cine fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And tonight, we are going to talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with the HBO TV series, the first season of House of the Dragon. We will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler-centric section with time codes in the description to allow you to jump around, especially if you want to skip the first hour and 20 minutes to actually just hear us talk about this. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Sorry, everyone, but that was fun. Yeah. I mean, if you're listening to a Game of Thrones episode, that's kind of par for the course. I mean, but when we did our Game of Thrones episode, that was our longest episode at, what, four hours? Yeah. Something. Jesus. Yeah. But I yeah. hope people are into that, man. I hope people listen to that and were entertained by what we said. I think it was actually a lot of fun. And it was pretty fresh off of it. Like, so. Oh, would I pick this person or would I pick that person? I hope it got people uh, thinking. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just like, you know, and like I said, it's kind of standard Game of Thrones talk. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so. Who's better? Yeah. Me. Anyway. Um, but yeah, we're going to go, uh, spoiler free thoughts. Um, Justin, what are your spoiler free thoughts about season one of game or fuck, uh, season one of game of Thrones house of the dragon kind of recovered <laughs> question <that>. mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you got there. I think you made it. You arrived to the destination. Um, sometimes you, fail to appreciate something until it's gone. And then after going so long without said thing, when, whenever you're fortunate enough to be reminded of something or you get something that's like, 
um, in the essence of said thing that is missing from your life, you realize, man, there's really nothing like this thing. I appreciate this thing so much more after it being out of my life for so long. And I mean, I think that that is the best sentiment I can give when it comes to this, because for so long, because Game of Thrones was just, while the, the first Game of Thrones was on, it was just one of the, that run was just, that was just one of the best things I was watching on television at the time. And it was so enthralling and captivating and the characters and the drama and the, the, the medieval period you're in and all of that stuff, you know, there was just nothing quite like game of Thrones when it came out and the, the, the cliffhanger endings of seasons and the, the crazy amount of deaths in the show, the, the, the sex as Sterling so well put it, the, you know, just, there's so much to like about Game of Thrones. And whenever House of the Dragon was announced and it was close to, to on its way out, the biggest fear I had was, is that, you know, what exactly is this going to add to what we've already seen? How is this going to measure up quality-wise to what we've already seen? Because it tr- it's true. We, it's not like we have seen the story of the of the Targaryen house and what winds up happening to the house of the dragon. It's not like we 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 saw it or anything like that. So it is new in that way that this is a story that we have not seen depicted on the screen. But could it capture the essence of what was before? Could it give me some of those same type of feelings that I felt when I watched the original Game of Thrones? Would it be as compelling in a, in some ways as what I watched when, um, as what I watched in Game of Thrones? So all of those were questions for me and they were big concerns because I didn't just want to see something that was sort of a step down in quality. We kind of did this because, hey, that was successful so Obviously, we could do this and it'd be sort of this sort of cash grab kind of formality type of thing where there was a huge dip in quality because just for the sake of getting this out, because, hey, it's a popular thing so we could keep making money off of Game of Thrones. And so that was my biggest fear going into this. And I'm happy to say that all of those fears, none of those, none of those fears came to fruition because I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this first season. Um, I, I think while it doesn't capture every feeling and every epic moment that I felt in Game of Thrones, uh, in, in the original Game of Thrones, it, it does it does in a lot of ways match it with some of its moments, with some of its storytelling with some of its acting. Um, I think that it it may not be a complete match to it, but I got some of those same feelings. It captured some of that same essence. When it started, I couldn't, after the first episode, I couldn't help but smile and think to myself, man, Game of Thrones is back. 
Like I'm back. And, and, and for the time that this ran up until the last episode, every Sunday I was there. Every Sunday I was there having to see what happened on House of Dragon. I had to see what was in the next episode. I had to see what Rhaenyra was doing. I had to see what Viserys was doing. So they got me all over again, man. I was very fearful that this would be something that would be just kind of, that would kind of pale in comparison to what the, what the original was. But ultimately, I think it winds up being a great complimentary piece to that. It's been fun going back and seeing what happened before we got to Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen. And this Targaryen drama has been good. You know, this has been some good stuff. There's a lot of great dynamics with these characters. There's been a lot of great character growth. The casting, I think, for this has really been excellent. And I won't go down the line because everybody is just acting so well. And then there was even a moment in the show, episode five, or maybe it was six, where we had to do a time jump and we changed actors. Like we changed a lot of the actors for this show. And and even though I was concerned about that, because I had gotten used to the actors that we had, those actors just took the wheel. And we still had a smooth ride. You know, even though we switched some drivers and some passengers, it was still a fun ride, in my opinion, all the way to the end. So I got to give them a kudos for that because that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, not only were these good actors that were chosen, whether you're talking about the younger versions of these characters or the older versions, but even the fact that some of them even looked like relatives. Like, there were some where I was like, man, this actress really looks like the older version of that other actress. Or, man, or like you see the, the actress walks into the room and I have to look twice like, that's not the same person. Like that's a, that's another person. This is another person entirely, man, they kind of look alike. So they just did a phenomenal job with casting. They did a phenomenal job with the acting um, and everything like that. Though I do think, and this is the last thing I'll say about it. And I'll probably elaborate more on this in the spoilers even though I was cool with all the time jumping, I do think that just by merit of doing that, there is the double-edged sword of it hurting some characters. I do think some characters are a little underdeveloped because of the time jumping. I do think that there are some characters where I wish I could have saw more of their growth, but since we're kind of skipping around, we don't get to see that. We kind of arrived to a character and it's been 10 years later. And even though I understand because the narrative is it's well written and it's well acted. So I I got some of the nuances, but still show me, don't tell me. Sometimes it's just better to be shown than it is to just be told that this is what this character is, or this is what is happening now, or this is how this character feels. Sometimes it's better to see that and to see that growth and to grow with that character. And I think the double-edged sword of the time jumping is, is that you don't get to do that with all the characters. You get to do it with the ones that matter, but there are some 
that I really like. And I don't feel like I know them as well because of the time jumping that we did. Cause we do quite, and, and it's not like we did it once. There's quite a bit of it and which I know we're going to all elaborate on, but I'm curious to hear how you guys felt about all of that. Um, and the last thing I'll say is that um, is Patty Considine. I hope I'm saying that right. Who played the series Targaryen. Will somebody give this man an Emmy? If this man is not at least nominated or get or get or wins the Emmy, I will be, there'll be a part of me that'll be angry a little bit. Like, I mean, I know it's not all about the awards, but I thought he was wonderful as Viserys Targaryen. I think that his performance might be one of the best performances like in Game of Thrones television. I really think he was that good. I loved his dynamic with the other characters. He just, although there are other characters that are compelling and cool and all of that stuff, yes, I I, I like a lot of these characters. But man, his acting and what he brought to this just really stood out to me. I think he was the MVP of this first season. I really think he was. Um, uh, And I have more to say, but I don't want to spend too much time. I want y'all to go and we've already got, we're already an hour and 20 under. So I'll stop it right there. And I better trust me, I'll have a lot more to say uh, once we get to the spoiler section. But yeah, I really enjoyed game. Uh, House of the Dragon. Heather. What about you? Yeah, I want to just kind of echo your sentiment about Patty Considine because uh, he was like, he he was so enthralling as the king. Like he he was. I I honestly think that he's probably my favorite character in in House of Dragon just because of how well they did that character. Um, I completely am on board with. Yeah, he should get all the Emmys. He was so good. Like he was, he was phenomenal. I mean, you're up against a lot of powerhouse, great actors and he just showed them all up almost (laughs) like, honestly, he was right up there and better. Like, I just, I I think he probably was the best performance of anyone in the show. Um, It's, it's a close call. There's a lot of great performances, but I guess for me, maybe I should just say he was my favorite performance. So I, I think he was so fantastic. I agree with that. Um, I think that my, the benefit for me with this show is when I started Game of Thrones, it was already about five seasons in. Um, and so I had to catch up on about five seasons worth of Game of Thrones to get caught up to the current uh, of when I started watching it and then started watching it, you know, as it came out. Um, it was kind of a nice change of pace for me to start from the beginning with a show like this, with all of the characters that they have and all of the stories and all of the families that are involved with this world. It was nice to kind of start it from the beginning um, with this show. So I, I did enjoy that. And I'm glad that, you know, I, I'm able to do that. I think um, I will say one thing about it is I don't know how much I would have been interested in the show standalone, if I didn't know it was part of the Game of Thrones world, um, I I can't decide if I think that's a good or a bad thing. It it is good on its own. It's definitely good on its own. I just think that like 
if I, I I don't know if the name of it or anything about it would have stood out to me to want to watch it. If I wasn't like, oh, that's part of the Game of Thrones. Okay, cool. I want to watch it. If I had just heard of what it was on its own, I would be like, all right, it sounds like it could be interesting, but I wouldn't have made a lot of effort to watch it probably. Um, Which I think is really a testament to the great show that Game of Thrones is and the great storytelling that they do in Game of Thrones. Um, Because you do definitely see in House of the Dragon, the uh, just the care that they take on that to kind of kind of do it the right way like they did in Game of Thrones with how they tell some of these character stories and the development and the uh, internal conflicts that they have and the how every character has a good and a bad side to them almost and things like that and and I love how Game of Thrones always did that where characters you think are going to be your favorite turn out to be your least favorite and vice versa and just the development and the the arcs that these characters have is so it's such a great journey to see. And it's the same thing in house of the dragon. I think with some of these characters, again, the time jump thing was a little, it wasn't off putting. I kind of liked that difference that they did with it because they at least tell you, you know, what the time difference in what you last saw to what you're seeing now. And I did like that part of it. I thought that was, uh, it helps you kind of keep track of what's going on a little bit, I guess, as far as, um, you know, how long ago was it that they're, feud started and whatever else you know but um I I think that was I I liked that in it but um yeah I I think um the performances are so great like uh Princess Rhaenyra she came in real strong for me as character (laughs) um and I want to say her name was Allie something the younger version of her um I'm looking it up right now what is her name Allie, oh, sorry, Millie, Millie Alcock was her name. She was so captivating from the very first moment that you see her. And I loved everything that she did as Rhaenyra. And I'm kind of with you in the sense of when they do the time jump, obviously that means it's not really a spoiler. (laughs) Obviously that means she's not that character anymore. And I was bummed out about that, (laughs) specifically her, because I thought she was doing such a great job as that character. But then when they brought in um, Emma, Emma, what is her last name? Emma Darcy. I was like, yep, this is perfection. This is the most perfect casting I've ever seen of <laughs> like people who are going from younger to older. Um, everybody just really delivered what they were supposed to with being that character that, you know, the younger to the older version and just the types of things that they would have, the areas they would have grown in and things like that. You do see that in the characters as the older characters. And I appreciate that. Uh, there is a lot of drama in this family of, of people. There's, there's so many, so many things going on and so much like just disarray happening and um, just <laughs> bombs all over the place of things that are about to just blow up at any moment. Um, but that's what makes it intriguing. I think that's what made it interesting because I, I don't really feel like they just did things just to do them. I think, and not, this isn't really a knock on Game of Thrones, but there were so many seasons, so many characters and, um, just so many episodes of it that they, I don't know. I feel like it was, um, 
I don't know. I, I lost my train of thought with that one, but I, I feel like it was, it was just more like they, they had more room to really, um, like, I, I guess they just had more room to really make things unnecessary in, in some of the character storylines or some of the things that are happening, I guess is what I mean by that. And with this one, I do feel like everything that they did was very um, precise and very thoughtfully and intentionally done. Um, I don't, and I think the Game of Thrones, it's intentional with what they do, but they just, there's so many characters that they have to do that with that it can kind of get lost in the midst of the bigger story going on. But I think because while there are a lot of characters in this show too, um, I, I just feel like they, the way that they approach the storytelling aspect and how everything unfolds in this first season is um, extraordinarily done in the storytelling aspect. There wasn't anything that I lost track of. There wasn't anything in the sense of like, oh, you brought that into play, but for what? I don't think there, I can't think of anything in this season that I thought that about. And um, there's not a lot of shows like that in general where you're just like, you brought that up and you made a point of that, but why? <laughs> you know, of like kind of like important details, I guess you would say about a show. So I, I appreciate that they did that with this, where it just felt like everything was very intentional. And when you have a pre- created world for you before this with game of thrones and what they set up as far as the world and the universe of what it was it's probably easier to do that because you're not having to explain what is this world what is going on here who are these families and what are they up to you don't have to you you don't need as much of that backstory because it's already in your mind if you if you watch game of thrones you already know oh that's who these people are you know what I mean? Like you see the Targaryens and you're like, oh, I know. I know about them. I know what's up. So I think that the knowing, having that knowledge of who some of these people or families or names of people are helps you to kind of already be more quickly engaged in this show. And um, I, maybe that's what helped me to kind of feel like this moved at a fast pace for me. Like this was like, oh, this episode's already over. The show's already over. Well, all right then. <laughs> like, I feel like it was very easy for that to happen with the show. Um, I think they have created some excellent, very memorable moments and scenes in this show uh, with certain characters, like uh, things that were kind of referenced before with Damon. And there's a, there is an episode where he just does something super phenomenal that you're just like, wow, like he goes on your radar as just one of the most dynamic characters on the show. And um, everybody has like this interesting thing about their character that you're just like, you want to, you do want to see a little bit more of it. And sort of what Jason said, because of the time jump, you don't get to spend as much time on those things as you might like. But when they give you those little nuggets of it, you're just like, man, it would be great to see like a whole season about what happened between these 10 years with like how it came to this point you know with like the the pettiness and the hatred towards other people and the you know walls breaking down and things like that so I thought that was interesting but um but yeah I think it was a great show I think it was sort of in line with what I would expect from a Game of Thrones world of television um, it's not a perfect show by any means, but neither was Game of Thrones. 
So I think it um, it was very serviceable as, you know, a follow up to that world and that universe and the things that people loved about Game of Thrones. You're going to find all of those same things in this show if you were a fan. So, yeah, I think it was great. Um, it Yeah, there were definitely some issues with it and it went by really quickly. But overall, yeah, I think it was a really well done show. I'm very torn with this show. After Game of Thrones, and we've talked about this before, I said I liked it. But then I was like, I haven't ever rewatched it ever since then. And it was like a yearly thing I did was rewatch every other episode of Game of Thrones, especially leading into a new season. And after eight, I never did it. Never watched it again. And then I really didn't even care. The House of the Dragon was coming out. Really didn't. And it came out. Been on for a couple of weeks. Still didn't care. Still never watched it. And then Jastin was here. Uh, when he was doing his uh, Black Wrestlers Matter show. And Jastin really liked it. So he was like, we should watch it. And so we watched, I think, the first two episodes at the time. And then we watched the third because the third had come out. While you were up here. I believe that's how it went down. Yeah. yeah. And I did. I enjoyed it. Because it's like you said, Justin. It's like. You don't know what you miss. Until like you have it. And then you're like, oh yeah. I miss this. And then we get to like episode five. And then I stopped watching it again. And I didn't watch it for what, five, six weeks? And I crammed it all into this week to what, you know, to do this episode. And it's because, hey, the, the time jumps in this show are so jarring. Like, I get it. I get why they're doing it. But they're kind of jarring because, like, like you guys said, like, we finally, like, you get the Renarius character, like, when she's a teenager and you're really digging it. You're enjoying it. And then, Gone. You're never, you're never going to see that person get gone. You know? And I will say this. The show does a good job of not completely making their time jumps. Like, make the show unwatchable. You know, you find out the information you need to find out. And at least they don't do it in an exposition way. You find it out as the story unfolds. So that's good. That's smart writing. That's good. But then at the same time, by the time the season ended, I had grown a little tired of it already, again. Because a lot of the themes in this are a lot of the themes in regular old Game of Thrones. You know, betrayals, infighting, this, that. It's, you know, the who's fucking who, who's this, who's that, who's this father, who's the father of this kid. We've, We've... I've been through all that. I want to see something a little different. I get that those kind of are important themes and, and those, the the infighting, especially over the throne and stuff like that is a big hallmark of royalty, especially back in the medieval ages when this is all stuff it's based on and blah, blah, blah. But it's also a little tiresome. I've already seen eight seasons of this shit. 
And this is essentially like a season nine of the same type of things. I will say this, though. I mean, in true Game of Thrones fashion, before season eight, at least, it looks spectacular. This show, this season has fallen into a few of the tropes of that season eight did, especially where they just go, hey, change all the settings on your your TV for this episode or for the next 10 minutes, because otherwise you're not going to be able to fucking see a damn thing because it's so fucking dark. Like, can they get over that shit? They did do that. There not, was a specific episode yeah. that I was like, what is going yeah. on? Nobody's watching your shit on a fucking I in an IMAX theater. Do your shit for yeah. a fucking TV screen. Yeah. Like, let's be real. I get there. It's the art of it all. I don't give a fuck how pretty your art is if I can't fucking see it. Like, come on. Yeah, I can't believe that was done a second time. Like, especially after all the complaints that were so polarizing in season eight. So you figured going into this and like Heather even talked about how the narrative is a lot tighter and it's a lot more constricted because we don't have as many characters and stuff like that, which I think is one of the advantages of this show is we're not going everywhere in Westeros and it kind of did help to contain the narrative. But for every good thing that it did, that that and, and all these little things it took from the original Game of Thrones, why did it take that dark <laughs> scenes, barely could see yeah. shit? Like of all things for you to adapt, of all artistic things for you to adapt, why did you bring that over? How did that right. make the cut? Like you figured that would be a thing that would have been discussed as, no, nah, we're not going to do that because of just how polarizing it was at that time. Half of the half the world said they couldn't see it. So we won't make that mistake again. And we did it again. <laughs> so See, I lucked out because I watched it on a very shitty old, uh, old TV, not like CRT TV, but an older flat screen TV that can't get that dark. Mm. So <laughs> by default, my TV can't get that dark. So it still kind of brightens it up a little bit, but I've watched enough shit. I know what it, you know what I mean? I know if I watched that shit on a good television, I would have had to pause, adjust my settings real quick, do it. And then once it gets to daylight, have to pause it again and adjust my settings. Cause everything looks all fucked when it's daylight. Like what, get the <laughs> fuck out of here with that shit. That's exactly what I had to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's dumb. Like, and you're also expecting John Q public to know what settings to adjust on their television to fucking see your TV show. Right. Yeah. It's still in the end, a fucking TV show. It's not a fucking movie. Yeah. None of that shit. Like I already have enough problems with these directors. They're like, my movie's meant to be watched in a screen of this size and these settings and this and that, and it can only be really enjoyed in the theater, the theatrical experience. Okay, dude, this isn't 1920. Shit comes out on other mediums now also. Like, yeah, your shit's going to be in theaters for a minute, but guess what? If somebody doesn't watch it in the theater, they're going to end up watching it on a TV or an iPad. 
And if you're really that good of a director and an artist and all this other shit, guess what? You'll make your shit just as enjoyable on that. Like, get the fuck out of here with this other shit. And this season, like, no, granted, it wasn't all the time, but this season had those moments. And I'm like, why? Why are we doing this? Like you said, Justin, of all the things to carry over, why are you carrying over one of the most complained things about that is the most fixable now? You can't fix the Danny story from season eight. You can't fix the rush storytelling of season eight. You sure as fuck though can fix the terrible lighting and cinematography of the battle of Winterfell episode though. You can fix that and it's super easy. I'll solve it right now for you HBO. Light your fucking sets. Done. Problem solved. Take a, take a note out of Jordan Peele's handbook. This is something I found out. When you watch Nope and they do all those nighttime scenes, those weren't filmed at night. Those were yeah. filmed during the day. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Looks damn good. Looks like nighttime. Looks like the best movie nighttime you'll probably see in a fucking movie. Oh, yeah. It's awesome, yeah. You can see everything yeah. you need to see. Tell. It's super clear, but it it looks and feels like nighttime. If Jordan Peele can do that with a budget of like $20 million, HBO can do that for five minutes of their fucking show. Like, just get the fuck out of here with it. Like, stop. Stop it. You know? But like I said, like there's so many themes that are repetitive in this that I get it. But at the same time, having watched so much Game of Thrones and everything before, and you've got new characters and new this and that, I, I wanted something a little new, a little different. But unfortunately, this is the only thing right now we got because they blocked most of the other expanded got you things we were going to get. Right now, I think the only other thing we're going to for sure get is the Jon Snow sequel. And don't believe everything on Facebook, kiddos. That shit ain't coming out in January of next year. Because I've seen some people post like mock-up posters and it's all January 2023. Snow ain't happening. Know how I know it ain't happening? They haven't even started filming it yet. Oh, really? They're not going to start filming it this month and have the first episode in June? Or, I mean, in January? The same to TBS drama. I didn't know that they didn't start filming it yet. No, I thought you were going to say because, like, when when House of the Dragon started, like, how early on they were showing the previews for, like, this show, I was like, yeah, they would have definitely started showing Jon Snow trailers by now if it was coming out in January. But not even filming yet? Yeah, that's not going to happen. I am pretty sure it hasn't even started yet. I just know it's not coming out in January. It's not. Yeah. HBO doesn't announce start dates with a poster. They announce it with a little teaser clip thing. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Right. That's true. Yeah, that's what they do. 
Dude, they, as far as I can tell, they have not started production. They have announced that it's happening. And that's so far it. It's going to be like late next year, probably. I think we'll get the second season yeah. of House of Dragon first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which, to be also fair, Heather, possible. if it follows the same schedule as this did, it might tail into like beginning of 2024 or late 2023. I mean, so what you said, Heather, yeah, that, that lines up. And that's if House of Dragon season yeah. two even comes out in 2023. And I guess I could say at the earliest late next year. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, But I mean, so the acting was so good. My boy, Patty. Patty's great. And I, I like Patty. I've seen Patty in several things. I mean, anybody that's seen uh, At World's End, you know, the Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost movie, Patty's in that. He's one of the buddies. Um, no, he was super good. You know, Matt Smith was great. I mean, Matt Smith was kind of doing some Matt Smithy shit. But at least he was doing it in this and not in Morbius too. True. You know, there's some kind of, there's some kind of charisma about that man. I don't know what it is, man. I think they missed an opportunity though, to, to play with some stuff with him because a lot of time passes over season one and he looks the same in the first episode as he does the last. They don't do anything with him age wise. I think that's a missed opportunity. Like at least have him like younger like you don't even get to see like there's any there's no differences in his movements. It's just the hair. <laughs> Ish. But I mean it's not like it's like a hairstyle that's like oh he's been growing it for 18 years so it's that much different. You know what I mean? Like yeah. his hair changes every time they do a time jump. That's it. No, they don't even change his the the makeup they put on him nothing. I feel like that's a missed opportunity to do some unique stuff with an actor of his caliber. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, the the bad thing about this is that at a certain point in Game of Thrones, nobody knew how it was going to finish. If you've been into Game of Thrones and like a lot of stuff with the books and especially more with the books and certain episodes of the original series. You know, big parts of where this thing goes. And that kind of ruins it a little too. A little, little less suspenseful. Because this with, with this being 100% in the past. Yeah. You know, it, it, it kind of tapers that a little bit. Now, the thing is, is because we are supposedly seeing the real events that the stories that we've heard in Game of Thrones are based on. There might be some of that storytelling license in some of the stuff we heard later on. And now we get to see the real side of it. You know, so there is that element that things may be different and things may change. But the big sweeping things are kind of there, though. And, you know, that kind of sucks a little bit. Because I, 
I know how this ends. So. Yeah. Deflates it a little bit. Anyway, uh, recommendations and scores. Yeah. Yep. Recommendations and score. Uh, Heather, go. Yeah, I recommend it. I mean, it's one of those where I guess technically you don't really have to have seen Game of Thrones to watch this. Um, it helps you get a lot more into it if you do. Uh, helps you understand a little bit more who the characters are, some of the motivations, kind of the anticipation of some things that you know are probably going to be happening with some of these families and things like that. Uh, it helps you to appreciate that more and um, enjoy it more probably if you have seen Game of Thrones. But I don't necessarily think you have to have seen it. Um, but I just imagine most people are Game of Thrones fans who want to watch this anyway. So, but yeah, I do recommend it. I think it's a great, um, you know, offshoot of of that world. I think the acting is phenomenal. I think it is very beautifully shot. I think uh, there's some great action sequences. It does have some really great writing and storytelling aspects to it. Um, it keeps you engaged the whole time. And because of the time jumps, I think that it does kind of, uh, it doesn't feel like it drags really in that way because you're getting these time jumps of things that are happening like years in between. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really well done show again, not without its faults, but it, um, it was very entertaining and I'm glad that I was able to catch it like as it started, you know, and getting to kind of get the hype of. It's one of those shows where I like the hype of being like, I wonder what's going to happen next week, you know, and and I like that I can kind of do that from the beginning with this show. So, yeah, I would give it. Um, hmm. Um, I'll, I'll I'll probably give it a an eighty um secret super dark rendezvous in a shady area out of a hundred. Justin, what about you? Yeah, I also recommend that. I think that if you were a fan of the Game of Thrones show, um, I think ultimately you will come out satisfied with this. I just think that it has, like I said, it really captures the essence of what that show was. And I can't speak for people who have read the books because I haven't read any of the Game of Thrones books. I'm just a purely HBO series person. Haven't really gone beyond that. So this is all new stuff to me. You know, the only thing I know about this story is what the other characters kind of mentioned in the original story. And that was light mentioning or just saying something as a matter of fact. And you had so many other things you had to focus on, as Heather kind of alluded to in that old story. There wasn't time to sort of put together exactly everything that happened with the House of the Dragon. So for me, this does feel fresh. You know, a lot of these characters I didn't know or and and, and half the stuff I'm seeing, I don't remember if characters from the original season mentioned them or not. It's been so long that it's hard to remember just specific things people said. 
I do think I remember a character saying the dance of the dragons and, you know, Daenerys talking about her birthright and maybe mentioning some characters before her time. But other than that, this felt like something new to me. You know, I'm seeing like new characters, but but it was fun seeing them do these things and thinking about what is to come later. I think that was also part of the fun of this is going, oh, so that's where that custom comes from. Oh, that's where that kind of style comes from. Or, oh, I can see a little bit of Daenerys in this character. Or, oh, I can see a little. That happens too in the show. So I think that was sort of the fun of it. So I think if you were somebody who really liked the 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 original Game of Thrones series, I just think that you will walk away mostly liking this one. But the caveat too, though, is that the story is told a lot different. It is a lot more self-contained. You're not going to as many places. You know, you're not going all over Westeros to here, to Pentos, then to here, then to Winterfell, then to here, then to here. Though I think next season we might be getting to see a little bit more of the map, so to speak. But this is a little more self-contained. So if you were expecting to get exactly the same kind of narrative of Game of Thrones, I guess maybe I could see somebody walking in going, wait a second, this is not what I expected. How come I'm not going here? How come I'm not going to Winterfell and seeing the people who were in Winterfell at that time? How come I'm not going over here and seeing who was who all was at Casterly Rock at this time? So I think maybe from that element, if that's what you expected going in, that might disappoint you a little bit. Maybe if that's if you were expecting kind of the same kind of style of storytelling, but just we're going back a hundred something years or whatever. It's not really that either. But I think if you just really look at this from a self-contained, just the narrative and what it is, the characters, the acting, what they do, the, the drama and everything like that, I do think it mostly captures the things we love about Game of Thrones. And that is these enthralling characters all kind of in this game to see who's going to sit on the Iron Throne, so to speak, and all the politics and the drama and the family and the betrayals and everything that comes with that. All of that is definitely here. And I think they did enough with the story to where those elements reign true and they are meaningful overall to the narrative. Um, with that being said, we're going to go with, we'll go with 85. Yeah, I think that's a fair score. We'll go with, yeah, 85. Um, Trades of an eye for a dragon out of 100. I think if you're a Game of Thrones fan, yeah, watch it. I say that. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, you already watched it. You know, like, let's be realistic. <laughs> um, you know, 
And I, I, I do get what you're saying, Justin, when you're talking about, yeah, they make references, but they don't give it all away. The problem is, is like I was so into Game of Thrones for so long that like I was watching like YouTube deep dives uh, and all these things that like when they did reference aspects of it, the other people would go and like they'd break down what it meant and like give you the history of all that shit too, you know. Because for so long, like, the whole concept with Game of Thrones, especially the books, but a little bit with the TV show, was, like, were they giving you hints by referencing this that, like, this was going to happen then? And you know what I mean? Like, everybody was looking for that deeper meaning or what that next clue was of something else. And, yeah, so not all of my knowledge of the Dance of the Dragons is from strictly just the show or the books. But it's because of me watching the show and then doing all this other stuff. Like, I've kind of back ended into like a decent amount of knowledge about it. And I'm like, oh. Um, without spoilers, I mean, with that that whole aspect, you will you will end up getting more of the world or or at least of Westeros in the upcoming seasons. Cause and okay. I and I, okay. I just say that from the perspective of it's a war. In Westeros, you know what I mean? Like, it's a war that houses from all over Westeros do fight in. You know, how much time you spend in each of those areas or whatever might still be very limited. Because most of the battle part of it does kind of take place in that western part, more towards King's Landing, Dragonstone, that area. But you'll see more of the the houses we're familiar with and stuff like that. And I hope I was able to say that in a way that doesn't give anything away. You know, just all, all I'll say is the Dance of the Dragons is a massive, massive war. So you get a lot of Westeros people and houses in it. You know, kind of like in Game of Thrones. I mean, you got a lot of houses in the end that, you know, by the end of it, what you the houses you learn about at the beginning and the houses you're getting... And people are talking about it towards the end are, you know, they grow, you know, there's more houses involved with things towards the end of the show than there were at the beginning. So it's that type of thing. But I mean, but like I said, I, I, I'm not going to sit there and say that that, that means we're going to get like, you know, six episodes in Winterfell. Because I don't think we will, you know. Uh, we're we're not going to spend a bunch of time in Dorn, you know. Like it's not going to be that type of thing. I don't think. I mean, because I, yeah. I really can't. I can't say with any specificity because I don't. I legitimately don't know how they're going to approach those things. It's just we will. You'll get people. Like you'll get some things of a, of a grander scale, but I still think it will be narratively speaking still smaller because this shows about the war. And the war takes place in a more specified area than just the wall, the Dorn, Pentos. You know, like you were saying, Justin, you're not going to be getting that grand of a scale. You know? Yeah, but, but what I say makes sense, though. If yes. you're a fan of that and coming over to this, expect that that change that change might, uh, maybe there is a fan that would be disappointed by that because they want to do the the jumping all around everywhere in Westeros. But 
I still think this cohesive narrative is still good despite not doing that. But I just felt like maybe I should, maybe there's a fan out there that will think that's what they're getting and then be surprised when that's not what they get, I guess is what I was trying to say. But you were trying to, but you did say that you think next season or like maybe next season or in future seasons that we would get more. And that's what I'm commenting on is that aspect of it. Yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to further that of it. Um, But like I said, I can't tell you to what scale, you know, I do know characters from other areas of Westeros are important later in the story. I mean, obviously we haven't, it'd be a bad story if we've been introduced to every character that's going to be important throughout the entirety of the story now, you know? So we're going to get the, I don't, but I don't know if we're going to see where they live. You know what I mean? Like I can't actually comment on that. I don't know. You know, so I think I was just trying to expand upon the idea of maybe if you were like you were saying, Justin, a fan of these other things, I would say we should probably, you should probably expect more of that in the second season moving on that there will be a more grandiose vision. But I do think that they are still going to have more of a focus where we already have it. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's probably the smartest writing of this part of it is the fact that they've done this thing where they're like, Hey, these are your core characters. They might not be the, all the important characters, but these are your core characters. So we're giving you a season of them. We'll introduce all the other people later. But this is that. You know what I mean? I think that that's smart. Game of Thrones jumps around because that's what the books do. Every chapter in the books is told from some other character's perspective. Now, you might get seven chapters in a book from Tyrion's perspective. You know. But every chapter is from a different character's perspective. I mean, like I said, it repeats, but you don't go from a Tyrion chapter to a Tyrion chapter. You know, you go a Tyrion chapter into a Jamie chapter. You know what I mean? Like, or a Danny chapter. Like, you know, and that's the model they they used in that. And that's why it jumps around so much is they were going based on that model. And that's fine. You know, it, it worked for that show. It made it, I think that makes this show a little bit easier to get into than Game of Thrones. Like, I think if you had never watched Game of Thrones, but you were like, I want to see what the hype is, might be easier to start with House of the Dragon. Yeah. Because you kind of just get introduced into this world a little bit smoother. Mm-hmm. Then you get introduced to 97 different characters over 40 different locations in the first episode. You know, like, (laughs) yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I would agree with that. And that's, you know, and maybe that's something I didn't take into account much with house of the dragon that I should have, that you guys both pointed out narratively. It's a lot more cohesive because of that. You know, that, that didn't factor much into me while watching it. Like, you know, it wouldn't have faced me the other way because, like I said, I've watched so much Game of Thrones and all this other shit that, like, 
they could have done it the other way too. And it would have been like, yep, Game of Thrones. This is what they do. You know what I mean? But like saying that and looking back on it, like, like, no, that is a positive trait. Like I said, it didn't affect me, but I could see where it affects other people. And that's, you know, it's a good, that's a good aspect of the show. I will give it, you know, credit for that. Um, like I said, though, some of the themes felt a little repetitive to me based on Game of Thrones. And it makes me wonder if that is just a kind of trait of George R.R. R. Martin's world. That these themes, they're like, these are the themes a hundred years ago and they're the themes now and they're, they'll be the themes a hundred years from now and they'll be the themes 600 years ago. You know what I mean? Like We'll always be dealing with the same themes. Yeah, that kind of thing. Mm. And don't get me wrong. Those are some universal themes. People aspiring to gain power by any means necessary is a theme that was just as prevalent in the 1400s as it is right now. Don't get me wrong. It is. But I think the kind of tiresome part of it is we're in an election week right now. So we're literally more or less playing our American version of the Game of Thrones and all this other shit right now. And leading up to it, because it's not like elections, you know, we're not like other countries where we have like dedicated amount of time for elections. It's been this feeling for what? Almost eight years straight. Of that vying and docking for power constantly. And so my normal life is already that. I don't necessarily want my fantasy TV shows to be that also. That's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying not to completely hold that against this show, but you can't stop whenever you're feeling that feeling, though. You know what I mean? Like, that feeling's in you and you're getting it like it's there. It just, I say that kind of, I guess, more as a, as a warning. Like, hey, if you haven't watched this yet, but you are feeling exhausted of politicalness right now, uh, give yourself a couple of weeks, maybe. You know, this, this show ain't going to help that feeling. But I mean, I'll say this. I mean, it's, it does that stuff very well. I think at times this show does a better job of expressing those themes than the original Game of Thrones did. But mm, I'll give it a 70. I really liked that younger Renary's better out of a hundred. <laughs> Same. Millie. Uh, that gives this show a, uh, 78 season one, 78. Okay. As our official cine score, shit, I completely didn't set that up. Right. So our official cine score for this season of house of the dragon is a 78. All right. Spoilers? Yep. Yep. Recommendations? That was the wrong button. <laughs> that was the right button. Uh, I mean, I guess first and foremost, 
Vagar destroyed that other little that little dragon. Just one hit killed it. Yeah. And that was like my favorite and second least favorite scene of the season. Cause like it happens and then you're just like, you know that Damon goes and tells Renary he's like, Hey, your son just died. And all this other shit. And I'm like, but who saw it? Yeah, I was wondering that too, honestly. Like, how did he know? How did he find out that whole thing? Yeah. And that, that bothered me. It was a cool ass scene though. Don't get me wrong. Cool ass scene. And that's and that's why, and this is what I was going to reference earlier, but I, I held it back. That's what Balerion would do to Dro, uh, Drogon. Because the size differential is not that far off. Okay. Balerion the Black Dread is about twice as big as Drogon in season eight. He could do the same type of thing. That's what I wanted to say earlier. But I was like, oh, no, I need to hold that back for spoilers. Uh, but, I mean, like I said, really enjoyed that scene. But, like, all I know is season two better not start, like, right after this. And they go. And there's a scene but where she's like, but her son killed my son. Like I'll I'll accept that maybe they, they found like dead dragon parts and maybe body of the child. No one better know right off the bat though that Eamon did it. Yeah. Like, like suspicion right maybe, but like just confirmed would be yes. a, little, a little much. Like only two, there are only two dragons at this point that could have done that. Don't get me wrong. We have been introduced to both of them. It is Vagar, Aemon's dragon. And it was a Voltathor, which was the dragon that uh, Damon was singing that song to. Those are the two largest dragons in Westeros at this part in the show. Which is also uh, a really cool scene when he's singing to the dragon in the dark. Yeah. Notice how that scene was well lit. Didn't have any problems with that scene. Right. Like, what's what's going on, guys? So inconsistent with that. So maybe they figured it out by that point. They were like, oh, shit. We need to light our scenes. Because he was in a dark-ass cave, and I could see everything fine. Anyway. Um, so maybe that could be the logic used. Because, you know, Damon knows where Voltathor is. Like, he was there. So, like... Arguably speaking, the only other dragon that could do that is Vagar. Like, I get that. But another factor could be, you know, does Aemon, the perpetrator, does he want to keep this a secret? You know, or is I would this say yes, where he winds up owning it and saying, yes, I did it. Okay. And you know, you need to succumb to our house or things will get worse for you. You know, what, how does he, what does he do with what he did, with what was done? Does he own it? I thought about it something that? that they have to figure out. I thought about it. And my issue with that is, is the way the scene is shot and the way it's acted. That was not his intended outcome. He was surprised and upset, visually speaking, when you look at the character. Surprised and visibly shaken yeah. by what happened. 
Yeah, which is why I'm saying, what so, does he? That's why well, I'm leaving it as a question. What does no, no, he no. do? Does he go yeah. this way or that way with that information? No, no, no. I agree, but and that's what I'm saying with that though. Is based on that reaction, it's not like he's going to fly up to Dragonstone right afterwards and go, "Killed your son, bitch," and run away. You're, you know what I mean. That won't be the first thing he does. Yeah. I think if it does happen where he does tell somebody, he's telling his mother or grandfather what happened. And they might say, hold that back for now. You know what I mean? And like I said, it all depends on how they say they get the information at the beginning of season two. Because we don't know how. You know what I mean? Like, we also don't know if, like, that scene at the very end of season one is, like, a week later. You know what I mean? So, it really depends on on how they say the information is revealed in season two. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just look at it and think there's a couple of different things, too, that could have happened. Because... When they were at House Baratheon, they had that sort of near skirmish, and he practically had to yell at them and say, no, you're not doing nothing like that here. Y'all need to leave. So somebody there, you know, news travels, seems to travel in this world pretty handedly. Yeah, There were a lot of witnesses to what happened at House Baratheon. Who's to say that that news doesn't somehow travel that well? The last thing that happened was they almost got into it. You know, Eamon tried to kill him. Then Eamon left, you know, left immediately. He got to his dragon before Lucerys got to his. So there were witnesses. There were people that saw them almost get into it there at House Baratheon. I just feel like if... if it, somehow that news could get to there's a hundred ways that news could have got to them well there's not really i don't know how much of a deal breaker it is that they found out no but that's the thing is there's not really a hundred ways because best bet would be by raven only a couple of people could actually send a raven and would do so with that purpose you know because also, based on the information in that scene, Baratheon's not going to join her. Because he's already made a deal to join his house by marriage to, you know, the king. So why would you then go openly give the enemy information at that point? You know, why would that be in the the, the uh, Baratheon's best interest? Essentially, the only people that would do it, a, a maester's the only one that could send a raven. And I just don't see Baratheon telling his maester to do it. I don't see the maester just doing it all on his own. But the maester could. The maesters are shady. They could have their own purposes for this. You know what I mean? So you are right on some of those things. Yeah, and plus all the other witnesses, even if it's not yeah, but how sent could the, via Raven, 
But how would they I'm get it back to Dragonstone? That there were just a lot of witnesses. But how would they get? But that's my point, though: is how could they get that information to Dragonstone? The only way to do that's by Raven. And I don't think Baratheon's guards are going to go tell the story, you know. I mean that that makes them more of a target. Like that's what I'm saying is, I don't know. People talk and people travel. I don't know. I just yeah, they talk and they travel. But then is it three months down the road? Is she sitting there for three months going, "Man, where's my son?" You know what I mean? Like just by just sheer travel. You can't even get to Dragonstone because it's an island, you know? So that's what I'm saying is logistically speaking in this universe, the only way to tell them is by Raven. Especially with how isolated they are at that point on Dragonstone, you know? So, like, I get what you're saying. There are witnesses, but I just don't see how those witnesses are going to relay the information in a quick enough time for it to beat a raven. Or then just beat suspicions. Because the whole point of the dragon thing was dragons would fly faster than ravens. So, for their... for. It, the information to get to them sooner than they would already be expecting their son. Like back. Is what is seeming fishy to me. You know, because that whole thing, that whole trip. That's like two, three days max. You know, even with the dragon, because it's like you arrive, like the whole travel time is not even a day. And then you get there and you're. You know, like, yeah, you're being hosted for a little bit, but they're not expecting him going to just Storm's End, which is the closest location to Dragonstone. You know, that's my point with it is realistically speaking, anything that would beat their expectations of them being back would possibly be a Raven. And that's where it doesn't track for me. And that's why I'm saying that part of it really kind of hinges on where how we how they say they find out in season two. Because I'm worried that they might have wrote themselves into a corner just to have a really cool scene. Um, One other thing I want to talk about is, to me, the worst scene in all of season one, and possibly one of my least favorite scenes in all of Game of Thrones universe. When what's her name? The queen that wasn't Corliss Valerian's wife. Uh, I think it's Rhaenyris. Rhaenys or something like that. Rhaenyris, I think. Yeah, her. All their names are too similar. Shit, it's so fucking. I know hard. they are. Um, when she's in the sept, and then she goes down and gets her dragon, and then busts in, and she's like, "Look at my dragon, bitches," and then flies away. I was like, what the fuck was that scene? And I know they tried to save it a little bit in one of the scenes following when she's like, it wasn't my war to start. So she didn't do anything. Then, hey, what were you doing anyway? It was still, what was your logic? Two, you wouldn't have been starting a war if you killed everybody there, or at least all the people that mattered right there. 
Because then there's no one to fight. How are you going to have a war? There's no one to fight. If her dragon went flame breath on everybody, two people would have been alive. Well, three. I'm sorry, three. And it would have been all three of Viserys' children. Or, well, besides... So it would have been Aemond, Aegon, and... What's the what's the daughter's name like Harena or something like that? Something uh, I forget. Those are the only three that would have lived. And then that's when the dragon just goes bitey bitey chompy chompy. No one's alive. <laughs> that's not starting a war. That's actually preventing one. No war can happen when they all dead. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that okay. out there. Yeah. Because other than that, I don't understand the scene. I don't understand her getting on her dragon and flying in there, breaking into the sept, staring at everybody, and then flying away. What What is your purpose then? Because they don't really say in the show. Just flexing that dragon she had. Man, they all flex dragons, though. <laughs> she don't even have the biggest one. She's got like the third or fourth biggest. So like as far as dragon power goes... It's not even that impressive. I mean, that that scene makes sense in Game of Thrones because there's only three dragons in the world at that point. That's a real flex. Yeah, that's fair. They've got like 17 dragons in this show. Having a dragon is just kind of what some of these people do. I mean, there are so many dragons in this world that they don't even all have riders. There's not even enough people to ride the dragons. Yeah. I mean, the main purpose that it served was that she got out of there to tell, um, Rhaenyra and the, the, the black house, <laughs> um, what happened? Cause none of them knew about Viserys. They didn't know any of this was happening. So that was like the the main thing that came from that. But yeah, her thing about it wasn't my war to start. Um, I don't know how much I bought all of that too. You still feel like, well, you could have killed them. And even if their allies had risen up and said, well, we... You know, we already joined with the Greens, so now, you you know, you killed them, so you got beef with us. There was marriages promised to us. There were things promised to us. You know, it wouldn't just end the conflict. It wouldn't just end instantly with those people burning. Like, there are alliances, there are betrothed, there, are, uh, there were things that were made as a result of Aegon becoming king. So you'd still have to deal with that, but... You can't wrap your, but you, you can't get away from the fact that it, things might just would have been a lot easier to well, handle, even I, if you had those threads, you know. But at the same time, the reason why I say it ends the war is because then that only means one house has dragons. You know what I mean? All the dragons are theirs. No yeah. one else has dragons. Two, I get what you're saying about the, the possibility of marriage proposals and all that other stuff. But if you take the only ones that would matter in that circumstance, and that's Aegon, Aemond, and the other daughter, only one of them could be married off, and that's Aemond. 
because Aegon is married to his sister already. So they married in their own house. So that's not even a thing. And Aemon doesn't even get promised to a Baratheon until afterward. So that aspect of it too. But the thing is, Justin, I agree that like her getting out of there was so she could tell those people that she didn't have to bust into the sept though, to steer everybody down with the dragon to escape. You know what I mean? She busted in just to do that and then left. That's what confused me is the dragon pit was under the sept, of course. But they've got a whole like big cave opening thing to leave the dragon pit. You don't have to, you know what I mean? Like she went out of her way to come in to have a staring contest for a little bit to leave. Yeah. (laughs) And I just, it was, it was basically a metaphoric finger to them. They yeah. had captured her, and she was like, fuck y'all, I'm getting out of here. And now I'm going to tell the 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 actual heir to the Iron Throne See, what and, you guys are doing. And I think that so there are better ways they could have done that. That's the best I can think of, is that it was just a big finger. It was a big bird with the big dragon, you know. I'm out of here. You thought I was you were going to imprison me or whatever. I'm out of here. And now I am off and you know where I'm headed. And that's fair. But I you mean, know where I, just, I'm I think there are better ways of doing that. You can just have yeah. the dragon fly over it screaming and they look going, oh man, auntie queen cousin got, she escaped. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I just think there are better ways of doing it. And that's why I was just like, that ended up being the most pointless scene I think I've ever seen. Like it just, there are better ways to do it. And I'm just like, and that's, a, you can't tell me that wasn't a big budget thing. There's lots of special effects in that scene. All the extras you had to hire, all that shit. I mean, that's a lot of money. It was tight in the moment though, because man, that coron that coronation was pretty grandiose with all the, the knights lining up and then Aegon walking through that line of them. And then they had all these people there and they're just like, Oh Yeah. This is really happening. You know, the greens are on top. And then that just sort of put a hamper into everything. Nope, back to reality. There's another house that you got to worry about. And that, and that aspect of it's nice. Like, I get that and I like that. So it's I, just- li- I loved it from a storytelling standpoint. But I get what you're saying. All the logistics don't quite line up. But yeah. From a storytelling standpoint, it was pretty awesome. And it was a great visual. Yeah. I mean, but like, just to touch real quick on some of the themes that I was talking about earlier that seems so repetitive to me. I mean, Cersei and Alicent are very much almost the same characters in a lot of regards. You know, the whole... My kids, you know, doing the whole betrayal, get my kids on the throne type of thing. That very they matter much, more, yeah. That very much mimics Cersei in the first Game of Thrones, so much so that they go against the king's wishes to do so. You know, that very much lines up with it. The whole, you know, Otto Hightower is very reminiscent of, like, the Littlefinger character. You know, and the backtracking into power with that. And also in is also very much also a combination of like with Tywin of 
he'll use anybody in his family to get his needs. And it's just like some of those things felt a little too familiar with so many of those things. Like there were so many scenes with Alicent that I just kept sitting there thinking, I, I saw this with Cersei already. You know, and it just kind of wears on me a little bit. Like the whole idea also of once again, and I know it is a, a real thing that really happened in regards of there were kings that were very shitty people and were very uh, say to them, like sadistic that were given power just sheerly because of they were born. But also like, so like having Aegon the second be so much like Jeffrey or Joffrey, you know, with the whole, he started children fighting pits and flea bottom. And some of them were even his kids. And he just was so disconnected and didn't care, you know, and him being that sadistic. Like, I understand he wasn't power hungry like Joffrey was, but still, like, you still get that whole, like, the sadistic child king. And you're like, oh, okay. Already seen that before. In this universe. It's not even like in a different universe I saw it. No, within Game of Thrones, I've seen this character. So, like, that that kind of wore, like, wore down on me a little bit seeing such similar characters and such similar story arcs, especially to the first season of Game of Thrones. I mean, right down to the fact that both of those things happened more or less in episodes eight and nine, just like they did in the first seasons of Game of Thrones. They even timed it in the episodes of the same season, like to do the same things. And I just... I'm like, okay, it just felt like more of the same and not necessarily more of the same that like I wanted. Those weren't like the, the, the story aspects from the original Game of Thrones that I'm like, oh my God, that's what I need more of. And maybe that's just the downfall of setting up what they had to set up. They had to get to the point where they did all the setup necessary to tell the Dance of the Dragon story. And so in doing so, we had to get those familiar aspects and those things out of the way to get to the point because you couldn't omit them because they are necessarily, they are necessary to tell the story. But it's just like, hey, let's get all this shit out of the way in the first season so we can just go the dance of the dragon and, you know, from this point on. Um, yeah, uh, when do you guys go? I mean, I actually was thinking that, um, what's his face? Is it Laris Strong or Larry Strong? Larry's, no. yeah. I was thinking he was the one that reminded me of Littlefinger. <laughs> me too. Yeah. No, yeah. You're, you're, you're right on that. Because he's kind of, he's a combination of Littlefinger and, and Varys. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he's also like the whole, he's got the little whispers running around. Yeah, like the earworms of, of things going on and stuff. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but that's it just he gave me very little finger vibes <laughs> with everything he did in his time on screen. But, um, you know, I 
I agree with your sentiment, Sterling, about Rhaenyra, the younger version of her. Um, like I was saying, like Millie Alcock, she was so great. And like just seeing her like teenage years and her running around deciding she's going to be this wild and free person. I think that would have been worth exploring more before they did the time jump. I, again, like I get why they did that, but man, she was just such a great character to kind of draw you into the world of the story that they're about to tell in this show, you know, and you can just very much tell that it's very centered around her. Um, you know, and just, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of parallels between the characters. And I, I noticed the same ones you did. Like, um, Allison is very much a Cersei. I would say maybe a younger, less evil version, <laughs> like, or at least before Cersei was fully corrupt or whatever. But yeah, I can totally see that. And I think Rhaenyra reminds me a lot of Daenerys. Um, you know, Damon is very much like a Jamie Lannister. So yeah, they do have very similar characters, I think. Um, they have their differences and things about them that make them set apart a little bit. But I, I do actually agree. And I think that if there was something I would be most criticizing about the show, it would probably be just like it is very similar to the original Game of Thrones. It's very um, not beat for beat, but it, it follows a lot of the same beats um, as far as the themes that they're going over, how they're exploring them. You know, this family wants to screw over this family for this reason. And, you know, this character's motives are this and this. And yeah, it is very similar. Um, but again, I think because of the tightening up of the storytelling, it was more refreshing and you don't notice it right away. Um, it took me a minute, like a little bit after watching the show for me to be like, you know what? Yeah, these characters are very much similar characters from the original show but um that being said though I just like yeah the the political climate of what's going on you know during this show and like you know and and I think because Game of Thrones set up it's hard not to do the the comparison between the two but like they set up so much of that the character you think is going to be good that you end up hating and vice versa I think they do that a little bit better here in some regards because maybe you're already expecting it or I don't know what it is, but like the moment, for example, when um, Rhaenyra basically, you know, the whole thing of her and um, what is the husband that she married? Prince, uh, what was his name? I can't remember his name. The guy that, uh, you know, they didn't want to be married to each other. What was his name? Isn't oh, it Lucerius, something like that? Is it? It's like La Lanier. Is it Lanier? I think that was him, right? I think Lanor. 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 Yeah, yeah. So, like, the whole, that whole story, I actually found it very endearing and interesting, like, their dynamic. Because um, Lanor, like, he had his own struggles and he had his own battles and, they just have this mutual understanding of like, we have this burden on us. We have this whole, almost like the weight of the world on our shoulders and everybody's depending on us, you know, to follow through with this arrangement and be these leaders and be these people and all of that. And they both feel that. And you can tell that at the time, at least Rainier, didn't want it, but they, but 
they both did not want that. And so they come up with this arrangement and this agreement of, I'll go do my thing, you go do your thing, but we'll just come together to, you know, be king and queen of of what we need to do and, you know, or whatever. So I I liked that aspect of it because instead of it being in a lot of stories, it's like one-sided where one of them's very much like, yes, I want to be the ruler and I want all of the things. And the other one's like, it doesn't matter. They're both very much like, we don't want this responsibility in a way. And we just want to live our own lives and be happy and have this freedom that we want. So, and I think that it gave them a very special and unique sort of bond and connection because even, you know, when they do the time jump and you see that Rhaenyra has, how many kids does she have? Like four, I think, (laughs) four kids. No. Okay. So she has the three that are the bastards, Mm -hmm. just Saren, whatever, the one that dies in Joffrey. Mm-hmm. And then I think she has two at least with Damon. Oh yeah, because oh, yeah, the third that's one right. dies because they have Aegon the third, and they have Viserys. Right. Yep. You're right. Man, there's a lot of kids there. But yeah, like they. I mean, so. But yeah, even when she's. I mean, that one that kind of threw me, and it was an interesting turn they took with her because you could tell Rhaenyra was not that person. It was like, I don't want to be this you know, this queen and this mom, or like, I I don't want to be confined to this thing that every woman I know is confined to. And, you know, basically what Alicent was sort of doing where she was kind of, it it almost felt like Alicent too was trapped in this arrangement that she had to have just to have her family have more control over what was going to happen in this world. And, um, Rainier just didn't want that either. And like, I don't know. I just, I feel like the special bond that Rhaenyra and Lenore had was cool because they, they still loved each other in a way, but not, not in the way that you want, but that's more than a lot of people who rule together and lead together can actually say probably at least at that time, you know, it was just like, this is basically a business deal I hate you, but we got to save face and whatever. At least they had a bond of like, we mutually respect each other and we love each other in, in a way. And I loved that dynamic that they had, you know, and that they understood each other where they were coming from. I thought that was really an interesting perspective. And, but anyway, all of that to say, you know, there's that episode where we think, Rhaenyra wants to kill Lenor so that she can be free of him and just marry Damon. And there, there's a moment in there where I'm like, no, like, please don't tell me I'm already going to hate her because she's going to kill off this man that like didn't do anything wrong. You know what I mean? And like the twist of that, because you expect it, you expect it all the time from like Game of Thrones types of things where you're just like, this is going to stab you a little bit because you're going to hate the person that you don't want to hate. And I thought that's what they were going to do with her in that moment. And they didn't. And I actually appreciate that in that regard, they sort of flip the script a little bit and what the, the standard game of Thrones thing is to do early on. If that makes sense. Like, I think I'm going to hate her because she's wants to kill him off when really she's just coming up with a backstory of what's going to happen so that he can be free 
and then she can have what she wants. So basically both people end up happy, but I don't know. I just, I really like how that unfolded and how you just, when you think that she's going to take a turn to like give in and be this evil person just to get what she wants, she's actually still looking out for this man. That's been her husband for what, 10 years. So I don't know. I just, I appreciated that dynamic that they had that mutual understanding and how he was on board with it. And he was like, yep, I don't, I I want out. (laughs) I want to go live my life with this man that I love. And you know what I mean? It was just a really cool thing to kind of do, I think with their characters and their relationship that they had. Um, Would you say that mm -hmm. that is the happiest ending in all of game of Thrones? (laughs) Probably, honestly, he just gets to yeah. live and go be with the one he loved. Is yeah, he the like, only person in all of Game of Thrones that's actually gotten to do that. Right, that's it's true though, <laughs> because like while it's sad that his whole family thinks he's dead, like he was, it was still probably the happiest he's ever been. He's like, sweet, I'm out of here. <laughs> Bye. I'm gonna go live my life with this person that I love. Like, yeah, I think you might be right to be honest. Like. I don't know. Um, One other like relationship dynamic I really enjoyed was the Alicent and Rhaenyra back and forth of they were best friends. And you're wondering like, what is the nature of their relationship? And then the twist of, oh, you know, Alicent's dad wants her to marry the king, you know, and get in in that way. And the fact that their marriage actually kind of (laughs) worked in a way that you don't expect. But um, I, I, the Alicent and Rhaenyra dynamic was interesting to me. My only problem with it is you get glimpses of like, oh, we've patched things up and we're cool again. But then with the time jump, they're not again. And I just kind of wish there was a little bit more of, but why aren't you cool again? Like, what is the back and forth actually happening in between these time periods? that's causing this rift to still be there. You know what I mean? Like I just a little bit more of what is their mindset and what is their thinking and their thoughts on why their relationship turned out the way it did. I wish there was a little bit more of that. Well, with that, which, which time jump are you talking about that you don't understand like why they had a falling out during it? Well, there was the one when, um, the first time jump when, um, Basically, it's like Alicent is getting to know the king and in the next episode, she's married to him. Right. So that one I get. And then there was one where um, I want to say it might have been when Damon kind of first showed up and no, not really first showed up, but it's where they're they're at the big party and, you know, they're uh, basically Rainier is telling Alicent like, oh, it's better to not be the person that's just tied up with all the babies or whatever it is she's telling her. And she, she could tell she offended Allison and she's like, Oh, sorry. You know, and it felt like they were good again after that. And then I feel like maybe it was the one right after that where you're like, Oh, but now they're not cool again. I think that's when it was. Most of those though, like the early on, like while they were childhood friends and stuff like that, Allison was finding it difficult to be friends with her still because her dad is then pushing her onto her friend's father. Right. Like knowing that that was the goal. And 
you know, all that stuff. And then, yeah, there's the, you know, they have the complete falling out whenever it's going to be, oh, you're marrying my dad. And then I know that they kind of had a slight rekindling of friendship, but then that went out the window when Allison found out that, uh, Renary's was going the fucks her Kristen. And she was like, Oh, she lied to me. You know, she's Mm. not pure. And then over that time jump is when she has the three kids that are bastards. And so every one of those kids is like another point of, you know, I did like Allison's looking at it as I did my duty. I did everything the right way. I'm the person doing what is expected of a woman to do. And, you know, my kids aren't actually getting anything from it. Like her kids weren't even, you know, going to be the successors, even though she's doing everything right. So there's like that resentment of it all, you know, like it's just a big game of whatever to Ranieri's where Allison's like in her mind thinking I did everything like you're supposed to. Yeah. I mean, and I guess like, I shouldn't say I don't understand why there was the rift, but I just, I think it would have been interesting to see how it played out more on screen. You know what I mean? Like where I just feel like there could have been some interesting conversations in there that could be kind of sticking points and important for them as characters, like their internal compasses, even like seeing more of that. And I don't know. I just feel like a little bit more of the scenes of them together hashing out their problems on screen would have been really interesting to see, I guess is what I mean more than not understanding why they have it. But when, when did this rift start to get worse? And like, was there a conversation about it that made it worse? Is it because you had no conversations that it got worse? You know, just a little bit more of like playing around with their, um, why they're so tense there's so much tension between the two of them, if that makes sense. But yeah, but I mean, um, yeah, I, I think that it, it was, it was always interesting when they were interacting on the screen together. And then man, that intense episode where Allison's just like, I'm going to take your son's eye, like (laughs) that whole thing and how that played out was so crazy. And I think that was probably one of the most intense episodes of the whole show when it's just like, yeah, um, my son's eye is gone. And uh, because of that, you need to have, and she was like straight up going to do it herself. (laughs) Like she just came, became unhinged so quickly. And I like seeing that, um, I guess, decline in her morality as she goes on and like, seeing the the weight that she's taking on as being the queen and all of these things. Um, I just really liked her just seeing the things that she's going through and just her dynamic with Rhaenyra throughout the show was probably one of my favorite parts of it. Um, and the king, I mean, Patty, you know, like, I don't think I've seen him in anything else, but my goodness, like everything that he did in this role was perfection. I think his performance was perfect. Honestly, it was a perfect performance. And I just was like, I, I loved seeing everything that he did about this. So um, 
And then, of course, Matt Smith, I mean, he is, he's got this very, like, charming villain type of thing about him. And it's, it's that character that you love to hate or hate to love, one of the two or both. And um, you need that kind of character in Game of Thrones, especially with what we've seen in the past with those types of characters. And they become the way more interesting ones and the ones that their stories are the ones that bring so much more importance in the long run for the whole, the whole of the whole show. So um, I just think that he's going to end up being such an important character throughout the entire show. Um, you know, on the level of Rhaenyra, you know what I mean? Um, I just think that he's going to be such a key person in some regard that um, he's just going to be so needed to make this show as um, I guess compelling as it has been, because you need that personality and you need that character who's going to be just how Damon is right now, where he does all of the wrong things and he's terrible and he, kills his wife because he doesn't love her and he sleeps with his niece and all of these things. But then something about him where you're like, you're a badass who destroyed a whole army of people by yourself and you know what you want and you go for it. And you actually really love your brother in spite of how different you are. Like he's just a very dynamic character. And I love that about him. So um, I, I, the way that they, build out the characters is probably the best thing they do in this show, which is not unexpected because of what we've seen in game of Thrones. Um, but yeah, I just think a little bit more of, while I like that they tightened it up with the storytelling. Um, I do think the time jumps, maybe there were some missed opportunities to explore some things or um, situations a little bit more than we could have if the time jumps didn't happen so jarringly, as Sterling said. So, um, but man, like, I I knew probably by like episode three, two or three, I knew the king was going to die. <laughs> I just knew that was going to happen. Of course it was going to happen. Um, but I honestly thought that he was going to be murdered by somebody. So I guess it's good that he wasn't murdered. By somebody he just um died for different reasons leprosy is that what he died of technically i mean that's one thing that's like weird about this they more or less have him die of leprosy when they've got their own disease in this universe the yeah this, the the grayscale yeah you know disease so that that's an allegory for leprosy, so I don't know why they didn't have it be that. You know, they had it be your like you know traditional old school leprosy. Yeah, I mean, you can argue that it was constant infections from being stabbed by the the Iron Throne. Yeah, because they did they did tell the story in this also that you know an unfit king sitting upon the Iron Throne, you know, it will prick you. And, you know, they had argued that that was parts of it, that he was getting infections from that. But, like, in the end, that was leprosy. Like, so. Yeah. Why didn't they just make it the stone disease that they've already had in Game of Thrones that's an allegory for leprosy? Like, I was like, that's so weird. That they and went it, <laughs> a step back. 
it might be weird to say this too, but I almost feel like maybe he, <laughs> for for what you want to call it, he also might have had one of the maybe second happiest endings because he at least got to see his whole family together, getting along like he wanted, like right before he died. <laughs> and he died in his bed, you know, talking to his wife who he thought was his daughter, I think. I'm pretty sure. But he, you know what, that in the Game of Thrones world, that's not a terrible way to go. So there's a couple of things with that. Um, I think he was actually, I don't think he thought it was his daughter. I think he was saying his first wife's name. Oh, I think I missed that. Because okay. he, he had done that to his daughter mm, at one point too. That makes sense now. He, he had okay. said his first wife's name. But it'd be kind of sad if he was the second happiest story because he died in agony. It's, it's like, true. But he, but he was happy, but his agony. At least in, in his eyes at the end, though, he got to see his house in order, if you will, at least for a day, <laughs> which it's is true. what he wanted. So for like for that, five seconds, I'm happy for him. yeah, because as soon as he left the room, it went to fucking hell. True. But you know what? I'm happy that that is how he went out as that being the last memory of his family. I think that was actually really cool that that he got to have that moment. So, yeah, um, super sad, obviously, that he died. But I saw it coming, you know, from pretty early on. You just expect it. <laughs> to be fair, I thought Allison was going to die um, and she did not. So, yeah, I think um, it'll be interesting to see how long some of these characters survive. I think that used, that used to be one of the most fun parts of Game of Thrones every week was like, who's going to die? Who do we think is going to live? And I remember that being a huge thing at the end of the show of who do we think is actually surviving to the end here and things like that. So I think it'll be fun to do that with this show and depending on how many seasons they do. But if they keep up the momentum of this show the way they did with this first season... I, I think it has really great potential to be as good as Game of Thrones is. Yeah. I mean, part of that too, though, I wanted to bring this up. I didn't realize this. I just saw this. Damon is only supposed to be four years younger than Viserys. Oh, my. And That's a... Uh, hmm. Okay. Viserys was such an old man by the end of this. <laughs> he really was. I mean, and but Damon that's the didn't thing age. Is if, if it is le- if it is leprosy, I guess that is you know the whole point is that's why he was so much different. But yeah, and it is funny to see like Patty in real life is like he doesn't look nearly as old as he did it in any point in the show. <laughs> oh yeah, they severely aged him up in this, and if I'm thinking right. Um, by the time this show happens, I want to say that like when he dies, is he only like 45, I think when he dies. Hmm. Yeah. I think his age would be about 45 when he dies. So that last scene of you see him, that's 45. Hmm. It's rough. Anyway, Justin, go. Yeah. Um, man, where to even begin? That that's interesting. Um, I, I that what you guys were saying about some of the characters and how you felt like they were just copies or like mirror images of these other characters. Like I, I could definitely see 
some characteristics like Larry's to me seems to be like the most guilty party of that. Like I looked at him and immediately was like, yes, he's, uh, he's definitely like little finger varies. He gives that same, I mean, his name is Larry. So it feels like that was on purpose and that was kind of by design. Like I think some of that is going to happen to give the audience some sort of familiarity with what we had before. Like fan service type. There there should be a little bit of that stuff. There should be a little bit of familiarity. You should see a little bit of Daenerys and Rhaenyra because Rhaenyra is like the first like female queen that was like considered the heir to the throne. So you can't help but think about Daenerys and how Daenerys' journey was her trying to get to that point, trying to achieve that, saying, I want to be the queen over the Iron Throne and everything like that. So when you see Rhaenyra, I think it's okay to look at them and draw some of those similarities. Now, if Rhaenyra was acting the same way that Daenerys acts. And we were just playing a lot of the same storyline beats of Daenerys and stuff like that. I think then there's cause to be angry with it or to say, you're not giving me anything different. You're just giving me the same story that I saw um, in the past. So I felt like the character development, even though, yes, there are those there are those inklings of familiarity. I felt like the character development was so good, has been so good with Renary's that, uh, or sorry, Renera, um, that, golly, there's too many E's in this. There's two, Jaceres, Viserys, Jaharis. <laughs> there's too many of those. But anyway, Renera, um, I thought that the character development was so good with her that yes, I could see some of that Daenerys in her, but, um, but if, but, but, but to be fair, um, I don't know if the, the character has arrived there or maybe the character arrived there by the end of the season. Like that look that she gave totally did give me kind of vibes of, uh Oh, is everything going to burn? because Lucerys is dead now. So, but but that sort of remains to be seen. I found her to be quite, um, I I thought she showed why she was a good candidate to be the the, the queen over the Iron Throne and everything, because I love the dynamic where Damon was all like, yeah, it's time to go to war and it's time to plot and plan and everything like that. And I like how she had pause. I like how I saw some of Viserys in her. Like, what's what's best for the realm? Yep. Is it doing this war or should we question this and try this another way? Is there another way that we can maybe do this? And then, of course, they come up with the plan of, look, we can stop trade to King's Landing and that could work to our favor. But I like the pause that she showed. I liked the different layers that she had. There is some of that rebel rebellious side of her, um, just like Damon. And I think that that's why they connect 
but there's still a part of her that is Viserys. And I like how you got to see both sides of that. Uh, I definitely think that she is a great character. And And I don't know. And I don't understand all the hate for Allison, man. Because Allison is close to being, like, my favorite. Like, if it wasn't for Viserys, Allison would probably be my favorite character. I love Allison, man. Like, I, 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 I'm mad that y'all didn't show her more love, man. I loved this story about her being, about them being this these best friends and her having this sense of, doing the right thing, being a good, be, being a good person, being a good queen, trying to follow the rules and everything like that. And then just constantly being surrounded or seeing people or seeing uh, Renera in this case, not do that and not have the same honor as the heir to the, to, to the um, throne and, having and seeing her have all of these, you know, having all of these kids out of the wedlock, so to speak, so that they're not really heirs. They are bastard children and they're not really heirs, but then they're calling them um, Valerians and saying that they're part of this house when really they're not. Seeing all of this dishonesty, seeing all of this deceit and really, and and on another side of that, her father pushing her, go go visit Viserys in his chambers at his lowest point and go befriend him and everything like that. And Viserys fell in love and she, you know, I believe loved him because she was a good person. You know, I do think that she still has love for Rhaenyra because really she was this good person. But seeing her be driven to the point to where she was, I thought that it was a good build. I thought it was a gradual build. I could see why this character is becoming the way she became. Whereas with um, Cersei, I don't know, like Cersei just seemed like maybe she was always that way. Like there was always this sort of cutthroat element to her and by any means necessary and whatever it takes to be on top. I don't get that vibe at all from Allison. I, I do get what you mean by that. Um, and I will say this, like, I think that I understand Allison's motives, like, for yeah, sure. I, I totally too. understand where she's coming from and why she is that way. It's just unfortunate that, like, she's getting so angry that she's, like, and even unintentionally, sometimes, like, things are happening because of, the choices that she's choosing to make, but I I completely understand her motives and her reasoning for why she feels the way she feels. Like I completely understand her motives, but it's just very much, it feels like the beginnings of somebody who's going to be a mad queen. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I understand her probably better than most of the characters and where they're coming from. So, yeah. Yeah. And I get that dynamic because I think both her and Renera have the potential to become that. I think you can see a little bit of that in both of them. You know what I mean? Both of them have the potential to go to this. There's this other universe where Renera is at her darkest point 
doing all of this crazy shit. And then you could see the same thing from Allison, but yeah. I don't feel that either has really arrived to that, you know? And I definitely did not see Cersei in her. I mean, maybe she has the potential to become that, but Cersei is, it was fucking crazy, man. Like Cersei was <laughs> like, yeah. I don't care who you it's are. It's more in how she is with her kids. You, I will use you. I will manipulate True. you. I will do whatever I have to do. My ass is going to be <laughs> on top. And well, sometimes it was like, oh, I love my children and this, that, and the other. But man, that might have been when she didn't have the children. Her ass was still cutthroat. What What do I need to do to get on top, Cersei? Whether the children were in the equation or not. Now, she used, and I understand that a lot of it was, but at the same time, you could see that Cersei really loved her kids and her family and like, um, and everything like that. But man, she was on some other shit. I'm not so quick to call somebody Cersei. You got to do, uh, you got to get to a certain point. You got to be at a certain mindset. You got to be, you got to do some more dirty deeds before you're a Cersei. I'm going to need Allison to, to be a little bit more before I start making any comparison to Cersei. Other than her but just being... But she was going to cut a kid's the, eye out. Other than... I'll get <laughs> to that. Other than her just being the female opposition to the... Who is the protagonist in this story. So I can see the parallels there and the whole, you know, the 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 opposition and everything like that. But I don't really see much of that. And that moment where she exploded and said, no, nah, man, there's going to be some justice. My kid got his eye cut. I'm not standing for it. I didn't see it as a Cersei moment because I thought that moment was earned. She had seen so much corruption from Daenerys. She had seen so, I mean, not Daenerys, but uh, Rhaenyra. She had seen so much, so much didn't go her way. And it felt like Rhaenyra was getting her way with everything. And then, you know, none of her kids are going to inherit everything. Viserys is all like, no, nah, Rhaenyra is going to be the heir to the throne. And then she's seeing her have all these kids that really aren't in the bloodline, but yet they, they're going to have everything. And her kids are actually from the bloodline and they're just over here with nothing. But yet and still, she's, you know, for the most part, she's tugging the line. You know what I'm saying? And she's day after day trying to take care of Viserys, but then over here seeing Rhaenyra run off doing what she wants in kind of this open marriage. I could see it, man. I could see it. I thought that in that moment, her going, nah, man. And then when Viserys didn't take her side, when she was like, no, there needs to be some sort of justice. There's going to be some sort of punishment. But we all know Viserys has a soft side for for Rhaenyra, so he wasn't going to do anything. And he was kind of like, nah, man, just drop it after my kid's eye is gone. I thought that was justified. I didn't immediately go, this is a Cersei moment. I thought they earned it. I thought I could see why she snapped. Okay. First and foremost, she was going to take a child's eye. Like, it wasn't like it was, you know, Renary's eye or anything like that. She was going to take another child's eye. Two, she knows her kids are pieces of shit. (laughs) 
yes, she loves them, but she also knows they're bad. But she's also doing the exact same thing Cersei did and constantly believing them anyway and looking the other way no matter what their misdeeds are anyway. When it comes to a lot of those things with that specific moment, yeah, she's mad at Renaries about it. But either way, if you're mad at an adult, you don't attack their children. And when it comes to bloodlines, those children, while they may be bastards, are just as much Targaryen as her kids are because they have one Targaryen parent each. So bloodline-wise, the kids are still justified. And either way, when she's looking at it, whenever she's mad that her husband doesn't agree with her, that's still going, husband, why won't you let me cut your grandchild's eye out? Because it's still his grandkid regardless. It's not like one of those things where because they're bastards, they're not hit, they're not actually his grandkids. Corliss Valerian could make that claim, but not Viserys. They are his grandkids regardless. They were born of his daughter. So that's why, to me, I, won't, I can't separate it or justify it or say it's earned because either way, no matter how you look at it, that was her vindictiveness towards Renaries that she wanted to punish a child in that regard. Like that's what it boils down to anyway. She was willing to maim a child because she's mad at the mother. And that whole scene also to me doesn't make any sense because everybody's like, Oh, the princes were attacked or the prince was attacked. The other two are princes also. They have just as much viable standing as that prince anyway. If you want to look at it from a societal structure, they are princes and they have the same regard as him. In fact, um, technically speaking, Jaceres has even more legal standing than Amond or Aegon does in that regard because he is the heir to the heir. Therefore, he would have a higher social standing than both Aemond and uh, Aegon just because of that. I mean, and it's very obvious, too, throughout the show, also, every scene they get, well, yes, they do play that, that joke on young Aemond with the whole pig with wings and blah, 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 and that hurt his feelings. Her kids are the bullies every time. You know what I mean? Every single instance, her kids are the bullies. Where are they getting that from? They're getting that from her. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's what I'm saying is she's not vindicated and she's not as innocent. It's all there. All of that is from her. Her kids are vile and sadistic because of her. You can't tell me that's not Cersei. Well, some of that, yes, I understand where you're coming from. And don't get me wrong. I didn't say that 
her actions were right. I don't want to get what I said to get misconstrued. What I that's said fair. Was I didn't. I didn't think that that's what you were saying. It. And if you I, know, what I if I came across like that, my bad. The narrative earned it. I didn't want to. I didn't. I didn't say what she was doing was right. I don't need to be told she wanted to stab a child, Jaston. That's wrong. I know that. What I said was narrative wise, it was earned because you saw how the character started. And you could see all this brewing over years and see, this is where, where I was going to argue, this is the biggest weakness of the time gaps is that you're having to put all this together and understand that we just saw from one episode to the next, she suddenly snapped and went towards the eye. But what you got to understand is that was one episode to the next. But what that actually was, was a period of 10 years of seeing all of this happen. Seeing Renera have these kids with somebody outside the marriage. And that's where you get into the legitimacy of, well, who is the prince? Who do we call the princes? Who are actually the princes? Who deserve to be called princes, et cetera, et cetera. Like, y- y- I can see some of that. And this is years. This was, that was years of all of this stuff happening. And yes, I could totally see her passing a lot of this stuff on to her kids. Because when kids start asking questions that kids ask, like, mommy, why am I not the, the, the heir? Or why is that person the heir? And then mommy can't quite go with the lie because she, because really the son, you should be, but you're not because of what I think is some bullshit. Yes, I can totally see that. And those narratives kind of festering for years. So yes, it's all that vindictiveness in her and it's all of her seeing her feeling like, um, her feeling like she's been wronged. In in some regards, when it, in comparing herself to Renera, but it's also from her father too. He's pushing certain things. He's got an agenda. He's pushing that agenda onto her and stuff like that. And so I think it's over years of time all of that came to a head. And yeah, we saw what she could potentially be. You know, which is which I can see how potentially she could be that Cersei character. Maybe you could say that behavior is an example of what Cersei could do. But I felt like the narrative earned it, and I don't feel like she was always like that. I think that this was this stuff happening over time, and that hatred and that vindictiveness. And also, she's still trying to be Renera's friend sometimes. I think there were times where you saw her legitimately trying to have a relationship with Renera, wanted to believe Renera with the whole situation with Damon and Kristen Cole and all of that kind of stuff. So I can't, so, you know, there were times where you could see her you, there. I do believe she does have feelings for Renera. I do believe that some of it is that, but then some of it is, to how she looks at Renera and she goes, man, why does she get to be like that? She does all these things and I can't do any of these things. Or I, or how come 
Viserys doesn't look at me the same way he looks at her. You know, she's over here gone away. I'm taking care of him. I've been his wife. I've had these kids with him. How come they get overlooked and everything like that when she hasn't really upheld herself to a queen like she should? I get it. Like, I get it. And all of this happening over years, you having kids, then having to tell them and everything like that. And then they look at these kids. These kids are white. They don't have dark skin like the Valerians do. You know, it's, this is, so I, and imagine all of this happening for years, for years. Don't think about just an episode to an episode. Think about this is like, 10 years this shit happening. These kids all growing up in this one place with this stuff. So I could see why the kids were bullies. And all the kids are definitely representations of what are we passing on to our children? All this vindictiveness, all this hatred, all of these questions about the throne and this, that, and the other, and caring so much about that, definitely is a lot of that is being passed on to these kids. And that's why you get kids like Aegon and Aemon and stuff like that. But I like how even though you didn't get to see all of that, you can tell where all of this is coming from. But some of it, while wrong, I think it comes from a place where I can understand it from a narrative perspective. And I guess that's why I like that character so much. I see what's happening. I know she's going to become the villain. I know what what this is. I know what she's going to have to be and have to become. But I love the journey that the characters take it. I like the steps that they put it in. And I think the actress has performed it, it well, too. You know, I liked young um, Allison, and I like older Allison. And that scene when she walked into the, the wedding, with the green dress and it was sort of like her kind of accepting that acceptance of this is who I am now. And this is what I'm going to be about. And like when she walked in the green queen, I was like, hell yeah, man, this is tight. I love the trajectory, the opposite trajectory that her and Rhaenyra are taking. I, I just think that it's been fun storytelling and maybe that's why I'm not so quick to just pass it off as this is another Cersei. I feel like the journey's different. I feel like the motivations are a little different. And I just think I'm going to need to see a lot more crazy before I put her in the same class as Cersei. I just well, need to see a little bit more. And maybe I will. Is, the you thing know? is, though, you're, you, you see Cersei after decades of that shit already. When you're introduced to Cersei in the book or in the in the in the show, that's decades of the same shit. I mean, she was looked down upon by her father just for the sheer fact that she was a woman. And you know, she mm-hmm. says multiple times in the show and everything like that. She is the most like her father of any of them. But he never respected her like that because she was a woman. And mm-hmm. she was trying to do the right things originally, but Robert was also a very drunk, abusive, philandering man. And then, 
you know, so you get all those aspects of it. Then you've got her father, just like Allison in this pushing her, his own objectives upon her and all this other stuff. And when we see Cersei in the show, that's like already like where she's already passed that breaking point where she's like, well, fuck all this. I'm going to fuck my brother. Cause that's what I want to do. It used to be okay when the Targaryens did it. So I'm going to fucking do it too. You know? And if Robert can go around and sleep around, I'm going to do that too, you know, and do whatever she wants to protect her kids because that's the most important thing to her and all those things. Like all these traits that Allison has now are the exact same traits that we were described that Cersei had in the situation she was going through, except you could argue Cersei had it worse because her husband was also drunk and abusive. You know, that's not Viserys at all. Very Viserys is a kind, loving man, you know? Mm-hmm. So all of these things, like, and that's what I'm saying is that's why to me, it's Cersei. It's the, you know, those aspects. It's, it's not that she's gone crazy or anything like that. There's all the other things too, that I think are forgotten about with Cersei. Why does Cersei become that cold and that like evil at the end of the show because she's lost all her kids and that's all that mattered to her you know like that's why she is that far removed at the end of the show and everything she did it's like she was doing it because she was afraid she was going to lose a kid you know when you even look at why did she burn down the set with everybody in it because she was afraid that the High Sparrow and, oh, fuck, Natalie Dormer's character, uh, can I remember? Yeah, Marjorie. Yeah, Marjorie. Right, yeah. They were going to take him away, you know? Like, that's what they were afraid of, she was afraid of. Even though, you know, that's realistically how it should be. Whenever, a, you know, a son marries, or, you know, when your child marries somebody that, that becomes, you know, their person and not necessarily their parents. But it's the same type of scenario, you know. And that's what I'm saying is to me, that's Cersei. It's all the same story. Like a lot of the main story elements are the same. Even the characterizations are the same. And I would argue that's doing a disservice to this character in this whole story. Because you were saying you need to do the familiar elements to kind of help ease fans into it. I argue that's not necessary. We didn't really get that in the first Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? They just kind of throw these characters at us and you kind of grow to accept who they are and their character traits as they go. Not to say that none of them don't have familiar character elements to them. You know, you've got your like your narrative archetypes in there, of course. But... These characters are too similar to me. I see Alicent and Cersei on the same paths. I see them. We just got them at different points in their life. You know, because Cersei talks about how when she was, you know, promised Robert and all these other things, like she was scared, but she was also excited. And like she was, she was happy to what it would mean and all those things. You know, and even the whole couldn't live up to the first wife scenarios that like when Viserys is on his deathbed, he's talking about his first wife still, 
It's the same thing Robert Baratheon had with, uh, what was it, Lana Stark? Lyanna Stark, Lyanna. You know, even though they weren't married, he was in love with Lyanna. And, you know, Cersei even said when he would get drunk, he would say Lyanna. You know, so there are those aspects of the stories that are just so similar. We're just seeing them for the first time with Alicent, even though we were already told those were the same narrative beats with Cersei. And we just got to Cersei's aspect of that story later than Alicent's is now. She's not there yet. But we're already still seeing some of the similar elements. And I think that that's a disservice. Because I didn't realize this, and I looked it up while we were talking. George R. R. Martin did write these books also. It's the story of fire and blood. And so he wrote the Dance of the Dragons as the story of fire and blood. So these are books. These are also based on books also. So with that, to me, that means he wrote the same character. In both arcs. And that's a common thing with him. I've, won- I've said it before. I think I said it on the Game of Thrones episode when we talked about it. He's a great storyteller. He's a terrible ass writer. Because he is, he does get very repetitive with this stuff. So that's my point with, 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 with Alicent is all the things you brought up are already similar to Cersei's. We just don't see it in Cersei's story because it all, all of that shit all already happened. You know? Hmm. Well, maybe seeing it, just seeing it in this story. And I get what you're saying by, like, if you look at those those elements surface level, yes, you could make some comparisons and stuff like that. But I guess seeing this and seeing the how it started, the friendship that it started with and everything like that, I think... Um, it, if you ask me, it feels different enough to where I didn't immediately make those comparisons that this is just like Cersei's story. And, you know, I haven't read the books or anything. I don't know what this character winds up. I'm just kind of going by what I'm seeing in this story right now. And it just didn't strike me as the 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 same story as her, you know. Um, but maybe that would change. You know, I don't see it, but maybe that would change. I saw elements of her, and like I said, being the 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 female kind of antagonist that's on the other side. So I get that her trajectory is headed that direction. It feels like Yes, it is headed that direction, but Allison feels like a character where some of the motives I can understand, some of her conflicted feelings I can understand, some of the decisions that she makes don't always feel like by any means necessary, I don't care about anyone, only my decisions. Sometimes it feels like, why 
am I trying to do follow these rules and nobody else around me seems to? Or why? And like, like that conversation that she had with her father after she snapped and did that. And then they're having that conversation and he went. I have never seen, and he basically basically said, I've never seen you act like that. You know, th- this game that we play is, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, this game that we play is like a ruthless game. And I never thought that that side of you existed until now. But now that I see that that side exists, let's try to harness that and use that and, let, let's see where we go from here. So, yes, you can tell that the narrative is getting her to the dark side. Or who knows? Maybe, maybe something, and I haven't read the book, so, I mean, it's kind of hard to say who knows what's going to happen. I guess I could read the book and find out what happens before they do this story. But I'd like to think maybe there's also a story where what side of her, I think she feels like a character right now where we're like, what side of her is going to win out? Is it the side that that feels wronged and wants her sons to be the successors and feels like Rhaenyra's not fit and feels like her family is really the rightful and everything like that? Or is it that side that still kind of cares about Renera that still, you know, that still values that friendship, that still kind of doesn't want, just like when her father proposed, well, we need to just kill all of them. She was the one at the table saying, no, why do we need to kill all of them? Viserys would never want us to just kill her, his daughter and his brother. She was the one. So I don't, so I guess the back and forth with her makes it feel like a different character, I guess. And that's really all I'm trying to say is I don't feel like I'm getting the exact same thing. It's hard for me to say this is the exact same thing, even if some of those character traits exist, even if the character could become that. I feel like this narrative's completely different or at least different enough for me to see where it goes. I mean, I get that. It's just, and like I said, I'm I'm down for the journey. It's just, I'm kind of bummed that the the beginning of the journey, I've already seen parts of it before. Like, I get what you're saying. It could change and all this other stuff. But essentially until we get to that point, it's still the same to me. Mm. You know, if she does end up taking a different character journey, then it's one of those things you can look back on it and see that the journey was different. You know what I mean? And it becomes a retrospective thing where like retrospectively, like, cause I mean, that is something that happens in stories where you see stuff early in the story and you're like, how does that tie in? I didn't necessarily like that and blah, blah, blah. And then later on you go, Oh, I see what they did there. You see that more connective tissue. You see what it becomes. You know what I mean? And, and and this is more or less at a precipice where, you know, it could be good or it could I could end up going, no, I was right. It's all the same shit. Or it could be like, oh, Jasmine was right. 
you know, and then it redeems the things I didn't like at the beginning because you get to see a different outcome. I see. But, but yeah, and that's fair. That's fair. You saying you feel like you know where it's going because you're seeing similar character beats does make a lot of sense. It does. Yeah. It's just until, yeah. Like I said, in, until we get the actual outcome, we both never know. We both yeah. also could be both completely wrong. So true, true. And it's just, and I guess the last thing I'll say on it, just in the comparison to Cersei, after a while, it just got to the point to where th- there was never really, there weren't too many moments in that show where I was like, is Cersei going to do the right thing or the wrong thing? You know, you just kind of knew what Cersei was going to do. Like, there was never, there wasn't too many times where I was like, okay, is she going to actually do the right thing in this situation and show some compassion and this, that, and the other? You you just kind of felt like you knew what that character was going to do. Like, you you just knew what decision she was going to make. You just kind of knew who that character was. At least at this moment with Allison, there are parts where I'm like, there's going to come a time where she's going to have to make a choice. And what is that choice going to be? I don't know yet. I don't know yet. Well, she, she objected to killing Renera and them right away when her father proposed it. You know, she was the one who sent Otto there to plea with them to look, you, you know, nobody has to die. You could just do this and that and sent that. She kept that torn page from that book from when they were kids and had Otto show it to her. Like, you know, I still care about this friendship. I do still think some of that is genuine. It doesn't just feel like all manipulative shit. And she really doesn't care about Renera. I don't know if I can say that yet. So maybe that's why I'm just on the fence. But, but the thing is, Justin is to me, that's not doing the right thing because still she went, Hey, I know I just stole all your shit, (laughs) but you know, I'll, I'll let you live over there. It's fine. Just let me have all your shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's the side of it is like when you, when you say like, you know, she still might have the opportunity to make the right choice. She already made the wrong one. You know what I mean? Like to me, she already made the wrong one because realistically speaking, there's only a handful of outcomes from that decision. And none of them are really going to be an actual outcome. Like in her head going, you know, I know I stole all your shit and I stole your, you know, what is yours, but I'll let you keep that over there and let's just call it, you know, an even trade. I'm going to let you keep that thing over there. That was already yours also. And we'll just call it a day and everybody's going to be fine with it. You know, cause we was friends like that's, that's not a realistic outcome. That might be the one she had in her head. But that's not a realistic outcome. I get you that. Know? 
But, and then another part of that is, is that does she, the belief that it's hers, she was bedside with Viserys. She thought, she legitimately thought when he said, you're, you know, Aegon is the prince that's promised and the the song of ice and fire, you know, you need to do this. She was there at his bedside when he said that. So that's not a lie. She thought, she she really thought that that man said, our son, I want him to be the king. So there is a part of this where she truly believes that she is doing the right thing too. And see, that's why this just doesn't feel, that. that's why I just can't lean. I can't be all in the, this is just Cersei again, camp. But I, I, I get what you're saying. But like, when I add up all the events with Allison, I some of her motives make sense to me. It's not just her lying and saying, sending this page and going, yeah, I took all your shit. Another way to look at it could be really this shit is mine because my husband said that he would that on his deathbed that he wanted my son to have this shit. But hey, I'm not trying to kill you though because I do still care about you, you know. So I'm gonna send you this page. I'm gonna remind you of our friendship. I'm gonna do all of this stuff, but you know, please take this other option. But really, this is my shit now because my husband said it was my shit even though he didn't, but she, but that's how it came out to her. Yeah, but at the same time, realistically speaking, like I said, she says that, right? No, she knows full and well also when she goes to everybody in the small council later, that's not realistic to overthrow the decree of succession. She knew that going into it and then still went along with the usurping of the throne because it justified her means. You know, I mean, that's like saying, you know, they're like, well, I bought that person, that PS5. When we were friends, but we're not friends no more. So I really think that they should just give me that PS5 back. And then that's when your like cousin goes, huh? We were thinking about just going and stealing that PS5 anyway, because we want it. And then you go, <laughs> oh, I think they should give it back. But you said you already stole it. They're like, yeah, it's right here. And they went, oh, well, I guess it's mine then. Because I was going to ask. And then you write an email to him going, hey, I know you think that we stole that PS5. But we didn't really steal it. Because I'm the one that bought it anyway. So. No harm, no foul. You just keep that PS4 that I bought you 10 years before that. And we'll call it. We'll call it just even. That's still not the right thing. <laughs> no, nah, that's pretty messed up, man. Stuff could get pretty heated around a, a PS5. 
but but yeah. anyway, I digress. And see, but this and is now, fun to talk about. And that's why I chose the throne as my first pick. All that shit centralizes around that damn chair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's my number one Game of Thrones pick. All this shit, all this shit because of that damn chair. How many people going to be dying for that damn chair? Just saying. True that. That's why it's True my that. number one pick. Anyway, anything else, guys? Nope. We're not going to do another Game of Thrones until like season four. Correct. We're not doing another fucking four <laughs> hours just because a season two comes out. Yeah, we just can't seem to do Game of Thrones, man. We just have too much to say about it. We're every Game of Thrones episode. Everything. Yeah, every Game of Thrones episode from this point on is going to be a, just a mandatory two-parter. We might record it, it all at once, but we're going to release it in two-parters because this yeah. is our second four-hour Game of Thrones. Because we fucked around and did an hour and 20 minute intro. Yep. <laughs> and, and then I we couldn't get off. Other. I couldn't get off. Al- I couldn't get off Allison, man, to talk about the other shit I want to talk about. But I think that that is just really a testament to how good the show is, man. No, none of these characters are black and white. And that's why it's fun to talk about this because there's a lot of gray with these characters there's a lot of perspectives you can understand. And, you know, I feel like that's what makes a good character. When two different people can see that character a completely different way, I think it speaks to the storytelling of that character. And there are a lot of characters like that in Game of Thrones, you know? Yeah. So. And the funny thing is, is... Like, part of me, deep down inside, wants to just tell you some shit to fuck with you. I know. And that, and there's a part of me, too, that knows that you know how this goes and the rest of the story. And so there's a part of me that's like, does he feel this way because ultimately he knows what the character does or becomes or is or everything like that? Does he does he feel this way because he already knows this shit? And so it's like, I am I just say saying this. a bunch of shit? And I'm really and he knows my ass is going to be wrong. <laughs> and well, so he's I'll, laughing on the inside because he knows. I will say this: this conversation we just had about Alicent and Cersei, I'm basing around Alicent that I've seen right now, because okay. I don't know every character's outcome in this. Okay. I know the overarching story outcome. I know some of the major outcomes. Okay. I I do not know the Dance of Dragons or the story of Fire and Blood in depth. You know, I know some of the bigger characters. Like, I know some of the ones that die. I know some of how they die. You know, it's Game of Thrones. That's not a spoiler for anything. We're going to lose some big characters. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know some of those. But, like, this whole thing with Allison, I'm solely basing on this. I do not know her outcome. You know? So, if there is another major point with her later, I don't know it. 
So I will say that to just be clear to everybody. If I did say something that I spoiled maybe off something else, it was unintentional. It's because you, sometimes you know something in your head and you just accidentally say it because you you know what I mean? It's just in there. But I will say this, Alicent, no, that was 100% my opinion based on the show. So. Okay. For want, clarification. Okay. Okay. Something else I might have spoiled. My bad. But. I don't think this, you did, though. I think you did well, fairly thing, well. Is it might have been a small detail that might actually, like I said it as a small detail, that could be bigger later. Uh, I see. Because I have a couple of those. And I have a couple of those things that people have touched on. And I'm just like, if you only knew. But I won't say about what. And so some of those things I might have fucked up just as I'm talking. But no, this Allison stuff, yes. For clarification, show-based Allison only. So. Cool. I was not spoiling anything with that. But there was something said. I wish I, I just kind of want to say it. I want to say it and go, ha ha. Bitches. Mainly the thing I want to say is my Game of Thrones team is better. Anyway, um, anything else? No. Nope. On that note, thank you guys for painstakingly dealing with another four hour, hour episode of the Game of Thrones Cinema Slayers podcast extravaganza. Fuck us. I am so sorry. We need to just avoid this show like the plague. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, fuck me. Anyway. Uh give us a, uh we're on Cinema Slayers podcast. I don't even know how to fucking end this thing anymore. <laughs> Jesus. It's a marathon. Um give it a uh, fuck, I fucked it up again. <laughs> you can find us on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. We are our uh Cinema Slayers podcast on Facebook. We are Cinema underscore Slayers on Instagram. I don't know. We may keep Twitter. Twitter's a fucking hellscape now. Like, just Jesus Christ. The yeah. fact that the amount of N-words that have been said on Twitter went up 500% under new management is astounding. And I don't necessarily want our Twitter handle to exist because... Just existing kind of means we accept that Twitter is a thing. Uh, Cinema Slayers Pod on TikTok. Uh, Cinema Slayers Pod on YouTube. Uh, give us a five-star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. I would completely understand if you just skip giving us a review after this episode because you're like, why the fuck <laughs> did I hear these garbage people argue about Game of Thrones for four hours again. <laughs> I get it. So just wait for another episode. We'll we'll talk Black <laughs> Panther next week. Yeah. We won't go four hours, I promise. It may be three because we're dicks. But it won't be four. <laughs> promise. I That is the sterling guarantee. Black Panther won't be close to four hours. I am dragging this episode on. Fuck. Uh, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends. Ugh. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends, family, tell your family, friends, and most of all, tell those dear sweet mothers because mothers love dragons. I'm just saying it for you, Heather, Okay. because I'm getting through this. Uh, just remember here at Cinema Slayers, we are both pro-slut and pro-Sydney. 
And as I was in the TikToks, YouTube videos, and podcasts, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. That was the longest outro. And like, not even because you said that much more, but just because this has been such a long episode. <laughs> Man, longest, longest beginning, longest ending. I am just seeing this thing clock, like, countdown. And every second, it's just getting closer and closer to actually four hours. <laughs> yep. Fuck this show. <laughs> I'm out. We are out. <laughs>